0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch coming up on this Wednesday edition. We continue to see uh,
1: him uh, uh, form his capabilities in such a way that that, that leads us to believe um, that uh, that we are potentially close to some sort of action. We, we believe that... Uh, they are, um, they are, they are ready. I, I'll just put it,
2: I'll leave it at that. They're, they're ready.
0: That was Press, uh, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby earlier today. We'll get the latest from Chuck Holton, the freelance war correspondent who is actually on the ground in Ukraine. Meanwhile, Republicans almost universally are decrying the actions of the Biden administration as too little, too late. House Republican Whip Steve Scalise will join us in just a moment. While tensions rise in Ukraine as a full-scale Russian invasion is anticipated, questions and fuel prices rise here at home. As I said last week, defending freedom will have cost for us as well and here at home. We need to be honest about that. But as we will do, but as we do this, I'm going to take robust action to make sure the pain of our sanctions is targeted at a Russian economy, not ours. Some are predicting gas prices could rise as high as $7 a gallon here in the United States, which could have been avoided. But now that we're in this situation, what course corrections can be made by the Biden administration to curb price increases in the short term and in the long term restore America to a position of energy independence? We'll talk with Oklahoma Congressman Kevin Hearn, a member of the House Energy Action Team. And the big rigs are rolling. Inspired by Canadian truckers, three U.S. convoys are headed to Washington, D.C. The people's convoy rolled out of Southern California earlier this afternoon.
3: Each of these are going to take to Washington our voice. And they're putting their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor on the line. What they did to the truckers in Canada, they're going to try to do to them here in, in the United States. But we're not going to let that happen because the first three words of the preamble of the Constitution declare who the sovereign is: We.
0: That was Calvary Chapel Pastor Rob McCoy, who helped send off the convoy earlier this afternoon. And he joins us later here on Washington Watch. The critics call it the Don't Say Gay Bill, but the Florida measure is designed to keep lessons on sexual orientation and gender identity out of the kindergarten through third grade classrooms. What might happen in America if schools actually focused on teaching the basics and not sowing seeds of confusion? We'll talk about the bill with the author, Florida State Representative Joe Harding later here on Washington Watch. And we won't stop there. We'll look at some of the other measures that have been introduced in various states to restore the rights of parents with FRC's Meg Kilgannon, Our verse for today coming from FRC's Stand on the Word reading plan is Exodus chapter 35, verse 21. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service, and for the holy garments. question is, what is God stirring you to do today for him and his kingdom? You can join us on this two-year chronological Bible reading plan. Just go to frc.org slash Bible. By the way, you can join me each morning, Monday through Friday, 844 a.m. Eastern Time, for a short devotional from the daily reading. Go to TonyPerkins.com or join me on Facebook. All right. Less than two hours ago, the Pentagon said 80 percent of the 190 Russian troops and separatist forces in or near Ukraine are now in combat ready positions and that a full scale military assault can happen at any moment. Now, joining me now to give his report on the escalating situation is freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton, who is reporting live from Ukraine. Chuck, welcome back to the program.
4: Hi, Tony. It's good to see you.
0: So what has happened over the last 24 hours there in Ukraine?
4: Well, a lot has happened in the last 24 hours, and uh, things are start- starting to really get down to the wire, I would say. Uh, they have declared a state of emergency here in, in Ukraine. Uh, what that means is uh, just there, there's going to be additional police presence around. They've canceled all leaves for police and, and first responders. Uh, they won't allow any military members or government officials to leave the country, things like that. Uh, they are also calling up the reserves. This is not a general mobilization, which they may get to at some point, uh, that would call every military-age male uh, up to to fight. But these are established reserves that they're calling up—about thirty-six thousand of them. Uh, they are loosening the restrictions for uh, getting and carrying a firearm. That's interesting. Uh, And I would say maybe too little too late if there's still any kind of permit process. Well, what are you going to do if the tanks are rolling? And then uh, there have been a a lot of actions from the other side, from the Russians. Uh, There have been dozens of bomb threats called in around Kiev today that have uh, intended to sow panic, uh, which they've they've largely failed at. Uh, There's been... uh, cyber attacks on several banks, on government ministries and and websites, that sort of thing. Uh, So uh, a lot going on, not to mention the uh, additional troops getting on the front lines, Russian troops pulling up into combat formations, uh, more and more uh, sort of false flag attacks that coming so fast out of the Russian Federation that that the Ukrainians can't even respond to them all. They're happening so fast. So it's it's really a flurry of activity at this point.
0: So, Chuck, is the expectation now that there will be a full-scale invasion by Russian forces there into Ukraine?
4: Well, see, Putin has basically three choices. He can stop where he, he is now, having solidified his gains, so to speak, in the Donbas region with those two uh, breakaway republics, uh, what they call here the temporary occupied zone. And uh, he can be happy with that. Or he could, he as he has claimed already yesterday, he could push out and take the rest of the provinces that bear the names of those breakaway republics. Uh, so it's kind of confusing if you're not here, but there's two cities, Donetsk and Luhansk. Then there's those breakaway provinces with the same names. And then there's the larger provinces inside Ukraine with the same names that he is now saying that that belongs to them as well. Uh, And then he could do just a general invasion of all of Ukraine and try to take the whole country. Most people we're talking to here expect that if he he does anything further, it would be just to take those additional areas of Donetsk and Luhansk Uh, oblasts, provinces uh, inside Ukraine. Now, that would necessitate some serious fighting because there are a lot of Ukrainian troops down there, and uh, obviously they're not going to go down without a fight. But the people here in Kyiv really still, I think, don't believe that he's going to try to take the whole country. And so if he does, it's going to be mayhem. It's going to be really bad. Uh, And we're keeping go bags by the door. I I can promise you that, uh, getting ready to leave at a moment's notice.
0: Chuck, uh, we appreciate you checking in with us. I know it's late over there in Ukraine, and uh, we will continue to monitor and hope to uh, to talk to you again uh, real soon as uh, things continue to unfold there. Sure
4: thing, Tony. Thank you.
0: All right, uh, Chuck Holden. Uh, freelance war correspondent there in Ukraine. Well, joining me now to uh, to give his assessment of the events unfolding in Russia and Ukraine and how the Biden administration has handled it and where we go from here, is U.S. House Whip Steve Scalise. He represents the first congressional district of Louisiana. He also serves on the Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, Steve, welcome back to the program.
2: Hey Tony, it's always great to be back with you. Thanks.
0: All right. Uh, We're now looks like uh, the Pentagon saying we're just possibly hours away from uh, a further invasion into Ukraine. The president unveiling sanctions. Uh, Are these sanctions enough? Will more be required to uh, to stop Ukraine, uh, to stop what's happening in Ukraine?
2: Well, the the problem that you can see in Ukraine, it's like so many other debacles that we've seen from President Biden's foreign policy. It's it's always reactionary and you know it's not just a little too little a little too late uh, there were things that that ukraine was asking for in advance i mean look they slow walked anti-tank missiles they still don't have enough of those but they've also been asking the biden administration for anti-air and anti-ship missiles and they haven't delivered any of those and so even if you were to get those in tomorrow these aren't things you just point and shoot i mean you've got to train people to use this and again are they even going to have these conversations those were conversations it should have been had months ago. But the Biden administration was more concerned about offending Russia. And, and this goes to show you how failed their strategy is. They don't understand there are bad actors out there in the world, whether it's Russia, Iran, China, getting ready to move on to Taiwan. They, they all see weakness in President Biden. It started in Afghanistan where it became very apparent that the administration doesn't know how to run foreign policy. And, uh, you know, and it's just very, very sad because the, you know, the people of Ukraine – are the ones who are going to suffer. They, they've been getting a taste of freedom. They don't want to go back to communism. Uh, and yet they weren't getting any real support from the United States. You know, and they, they sent Kamala Harris to Germany to, to tell Germany that, gee was there might be a war getting ready to happen. I think they've known that for a long time. The problem is that the Biden administration is going to wait till after the fact to take action instead of doing something before to try to prevent it from happening.
0: Well, with that in mind, Congressman Scalise, as, we, uh, as you mentioned, we cannot look at these in a vacuum. We have to look at what North Korea, how they're viewing this, China is viewing this. Where else do we need to be looking right now and be proactive in terms of our national security?
2: Yeah, there are threats all around. And, and again, look, Iran's moving towards a nuclear weapon. You know, you've seen a lot of almost hostility towards Israel and their their threats, uh, but you know that's only getting worse you, you you see china making it very clear and then look when putin went to to meet with xi during the olympics uh, i think everybody understood they were probably having a conversation about timing not not if but when you know wait till after the olympics you move on ukraine and then we're going to move on taiwan uh and, and and again you know you you see president biden just sitting back they don't want to confront china They didn't want to confront Russia. They were more concerned about offending Russia so they wouldn't give Ukraine the help that they were asking four months ago. And and the the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, again, I mean, he's talking today about the Nord Stream 2. Why did he greenlight it in the first place? Everybody knew that that shouldn't have happened. You don't want Europe to become more dependent on Russian oil and and natural gas, and yet that's what you did. And and it also helped Putin line up billions of dollars that, that he can use to go and stage this. Uh, this attack. Uh, you know, all of this catches up with President Biden. It's something yeah. since day one, he's shown weakness. He's hurt American energy. We could turn this around tomorrow with American energy, except that for the last year, he's crushed the American energy industry. On the, open up federal lands. You know, President Biden can do a lot of things today. Greenlight Keystone Pipeline. Green. You know, they haven't approved a single pipeline in the United States of America. Uh, so it's hard for us to move energy, to produce energy in America. And he's begging OPEC, he's begging Russia to produce more oil. And now you see the, the fruits of that, those failed policies.
0: Right. Well, one, one group, he doesn't appear to be, uh, the d- Democrats don't, appear, uh, don't worry about offending his uh, truckers. Uh, as these uh, convoys are coming to uh, D.C., we see the uh, the Capitol, re- the, uh, Capitol uh, Police reinstalling uh, fencing. Around the Capitol next week. I mean, it, what, what, we're out of time, but I mean, this is,
2: right. Looks like we've got they, our they priorities don't to all mixed up. To protect America's southern border, but then they're going to protect, it, it block the people from coming to the Capitol. It's crazy.
0: Right. I, it, it, it boggles the mind. Congressman Steve Scalise, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining
2: us. Great being with you, Tony. Got By what? the
0: way, all right. By the way, we're going to be talking uh, about the, uh, the convoy a little bit later, but coming up next, more on the events unfolding in Russia and we're going to go for uh, Russia and Ukraine. We're going to go further looking at the impact here at home and, and unpacking what Steve was talking about, what we can do proactively to uh, kind of put a cap on these uh, rising fuel prices. It can be fixed. We're going to talk about that next. Don't go away.
6: to six seven seven
0: four two welcome back to washington watch i'm your host tony perkins so good to have you with us on this uh, wednesday afternoon the website tonyperkins.com All right. Yesterday, in announcing the U.S. response to Russia's actions in Ukraine, President Biden reiterated to the American people that the actions taken against Russia will be felt here in the U.S. and means pain at the gas pump and elsewhere. As I said last week, defending freedom will have cost for us as well and here at home. We need to be honest about that. But as we will do. But as we do this, I'm going to take robust action to make sure the pain of our sanctions is targeted at the Russian economy, not ours. Well, we are going to discuss that. Uh, do we have Congressman Hearn? I think we're waiting to get Congressman Hearn of Oklahoma. As uh, Congressman uh, Scalise mentioned earlier, the, 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 the pipeline, the Keystone pipeline that was shut down, uh, there are things that could be done right away. That could help ease temporarily the pressure at the gas pump, but long-term restore America to a position of energy independence. Joining me now to talk about this is Congressman Kevin Hearn. He's a member of the House Committee on Ways and Means, and he is also a member of the House Energy Action Team. He serves Oklahoma's first congressional district. Uh, Congressman Hearn, welcome to Washington Watch.
7: Tony, it's always great to be with you
0: all right let's talk about this cuz i know that the republicans have spent a good bit of time looking at the energy situation in mean, america you know 3 years ago we had reached a point of being energy independent for the first time in fact we were exporting uh, oil uh, now we are every time something happens internationally uh, we are feeling the pain at the pump what can be done for the biden administration to do a course correction so that we do not have this fluctuation every time You know, we have a country like uh, Russia moving on Ukraine.
7: Well, Tony, thanks uh, thanks for the question. You know, the sad thing about this is is we're going to see President Biden stand before all of America, all the world on Tuesday night and do a State of the Union. And the State of the Union, it's a disaster. Uh, Every decision he's made since he became president has taken us farther and farther in a hole. His popularity, as he's seeing it now, has fallen to its all-time low. And it's all because of what he did starting day one. He sent a message around the world that we were going to start depending on foreign oil. Uh, We were going to kill American jobs, jobs here in Oklahoma that were so important, uh, very high paying jobs, jobs that allow people in my district, in the state of Oklahoma, in the state of Louisiana, where you're from, and uh, Congressman Scalise, they're going to have to make a decision on whether they can send a child to daycare or whether they can send, you know, go to work or what they're going to have to do. And all this is because of the Biden decisions that he's made. And, you know, he's absolutely crushing the American dream. People that thought they could retire uh, during this COVID uh, outbreak are now seeing their retirement funds drop 10, 11, 12 percent just since January 1. And all of Americans are seeing what's going on. They're seeing the bad decisions he's making for Americans. It's no wonder that uh, Putin, uh, he's a thug. There's no question about it. He's taking advantage of that, and all the world is watching. They saw what Biden did in his poor decisions in Afghanistan, and we know that Xi Jinping, we know that Iran, we know that North Korea are all watching what Putin is doing, and there is no stopping Putin right now. I, I believe, as do many others, including uh, your colleague, uh, General Blinken, think that he's going to take over Ukraine. And uh, you know these sanctions uh, against tanks and you know, what we're seeing right now with cyber attacks is simply simply no match.
0: Well, when we we all feel the pain at the pump, I mean, we're just watching uh, the gas prices go up like the odometer on your car, constantly ticking. But it's a national security issue as well as we become dependent upon foreign yeah. oil, which we should have learned that lesson about uh, during the COVID, about the supply chain and being dependent upon China, the creator of uh, of COVID. There's still time to correct this. Um, But do you think that the Biden administration, I mean, they're saying they're going to take all actions necessary, but will they take the appropriate actions like restarting the Keystone Pipeline, about approving pipelines, about uh, leasing more land so we can have more oil leases?
7: I I don't. Uh, You know, former Secretary of Defense Robert Gates said that every foreign policy decision that Joe Biden made for 47 years at that time, now going on 50 years has been the wrong one. This will be another wrong one. We're seeing it already. Uh, Joe Biden has, you know, has now become a member of the socialist democrat party. And you see what socialism gets you. It's the next step uh, on the way to communism, which is what we're seeing in Russia right now. And the reality is, is that Oklahomans, uh, people in the Midwest, uh, we, we can help in this. Uh, we have plenty of natural uh, fuels, fossil fuels to help uh, mitigate this issue. That's what President Biden ought to be doing. He ought to be looking inward here and seeing the decisions that he's made. All he needs to do is reinstate the Trump policies. Actually, if you go back to 2015, his former boss understood this. And in 2015, the last year of the Obama administration, they opened up exporting of oil. So even his boss understood the, the impact of us being dependent on foreign oil. And this is what this is all about. Uh, you know, I still believe that at the end of the day, uh, Russia is going to find friends that will help them in the banking world, will help them in their energy world. Eastern Europe is funding all of this through their dependency on Russian oil and gas. When we could be that, that source of fuel for them, the leaders of those countries are not going to let their, their people freeze to death or not have the ability to farm their crops or to drive their cars. And Biden right. needs to understand that, but that's the real problem we have right now.
0: Well, and and they've been able to uh, to beef up their uh, bank accounts there in Russia because of the oil that they've been able to uh, to export and to sell. Um, uh, Congressman, always great to uh, to talk with you. Appreciate you taking time uh, to join us as you're back home in the district.
7: Thanks, Tony. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, uh, Congressman
7: Kevin Hearn of
0: Cong- of uh, Oklahoma's first congressional. District, this is another one of those examples of the fact that elections have consequences. I mean, you go back just a, a year ago and the Trump administration where we we were energy independent for the first time in decades. And it it is a national security issue, but you benefited from it as well. So did I when you had gasoline down under two dollars down. I mean, like under $1.50 a gallon. I mean, that was obviously it was a benefit to the family budget, but it was also a very significant national security issue because no one could hold us hostage over oil and energy. Again, I made reference to this uh, with Congressman Hearn. Same thing with uh, China and the whole COVID when we were trying to get personal protective gear. It's time to wake up. Wake up. All right, coming up, our Defending Freedom Convoy continues as we uh, go to that segment next. Don't go away. More to come.
1: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
8: Taking a stand. Defending Freedom Convoy.
0: Well, it is officially underway now. The People's Convoy, which set out earlier this afternoon from Southern California to take a stand for freedom. In solidarity with those making their way peacefully across the country toward Washington, D.C., we'll be hearing each day from those who are a part of the growing movement Joining me now for our Defending Freedom Convoy segment is Pastor Rob McCoy. He's the senior pastor at Godspeak Calvary Chapel in Newbury Park, California, who offered a word of uh, encouragement and a prayer for the convoy as they launched their event earlier today. Pastor Rob, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be with you. I'm just going to ask you, uh, I know the answer to this, but I want our viewers and listeners to hear it. What got you involved in this trucker-led movement for freedom?
3: Well, uh, one of uh, our congregants is helping uh, set it all up. Uh, he's doing the logistics for it. And uh, our congregation supported it. Uh, we got behind them financially. And uh, they asked me to come out to, uh, you know, pray for them and send them off. So I said yes. And uh, up in Adelanto in the high desert, it was cold this morning, but it was worth it
0: you also know a little bit about the overreach of the government uh you have stood up against the mandates there in southern california as they tried to close your church down And and this is, uh, I'm actually very encouraged by what I've seen happen over the last 18 months with pastors like yourself. Uh, We've got the parents going to school board meetings, speaking out. Now we've got truckers, you know, creating these convoys peacefully. And I want to underscore peacefully. Everybody's doing this peacefully, but it's scaring the Dickens out of the left. And, you know, quite frankly, they should be, because I think there's a sense that Americans are fed up and we're going to take our country back.
3: You know, the the First Amendment, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, and the freedom to peaceably assemble for a right of redress of grievances against the government, that's exactly what these truckers are doing. And we watched in Canada as the abuse by that emergency edict by uh, Trudeau and, and the abuse that they've taken, they're going to lose their rigs, they're going to lose their livelihood, their jobs. That's not going to happen in America. The, the people of the United States are behind these truckers, and this is a peaceful protest. Uh, they don't intend to uh, – this group is going to circle the beltway, and uh, they're growing in numbers, and they are committed to a, to a peaceful presentation longing to have these mandates and these emergency orders lifted for a virus that has over a 99% survival rate. And there's no virus on the face of the earth that merits the suspension of our inalienable rights ever.
0: Yeah. You know, my my takeaway from this, uh, Pastor Rob, is that, you know, wherever we are with whatever we have, we need to take our stand for freedom. And now is the time, whether you're in a 18 wheeler, uh, you know, uh, driving to Washington, D.C., or you're in a minivan driving to the local school board meeting. It's time to defend the freedoms that made America what it was. It's not what it's it's not what it was now, but we can return to that.
3: Well, liberty like muscles, uh, if you don't exercise it, you lose them. And we watch here in California with Governor Newsom, the, the idea that he would call the church non-essential while he would leave abortion clinics open and call them essential. And we don't just abort babies in California. We lead the nation in abortion, by the way. We don't just abort the baby and tear it apart in its father's womb and flush the parts in the sewer system. We harvest the organs of the child first. And that's essential, but the church isn't. I can't think of anything more in violation of the First Amendment than what Governor Newsom did. And and we stood in opposition to it. We won. I mean, they tried to fine us $3,000 every time the, the doors of the church were open, and we amassed hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. I was brought before the judge on contempt charges, and we pushed back. And when you, when you punch the bully in the nose, they go away. They finally dropped everything. And now with the mask mandates and everything else, they exempt the church now because— We were willing to make a stand, and everyone across the country needs to do that because, again, liberty like muscles. If you don't exercise it, you lose it, and we have to be vigilant to protect this nation that was conceived in liberty and dedicate the proposition that all men are created equal.
0: Well, we certainly appreciate your example, uh, Pastor Rob McCoy, and I want to ask you before you go, how should Christians across the nation be praying for these convoys as they make their way to our nation's capital?
3: Well, they're they're going to be vilified. Uh, there's there's going to be a, a press narrative that's going to present them in a in a manner that's not worthy of of what they're doing and who they are. Uh, they're they're going to try to make them nefarious characters, which they are not. They're peaceful uh, business owners that are tired of the mandates that are stifling business. Sixty five percent of the small businesses in our county have been shut down or lost or or in serious jeopardy because of these unprecedented mandates. Pray for wisdom for them and protection. Uh there's there's gonna they're gonna try to set them up. Uh they're gonna try to vilify them and make it like the January 6th, which they're 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 peaceful American citizens who are peacefully protesting for a right of redress of grievances against the government. And uh they left the place immaculate when they drove out. There wasn't a piece of trash to be found. They were loving, they sang Amazing Grace, we prayed for them. There was nothing violent in anything that was done today, uh flags waving citizens excited about their voice being heard in the halls of government. And these folks, uh, their voice needs to be heard. Pray for them. Pray for protection. Pray for wisdom.
0: And pray that the truth would be known, uh, because it's a sharp contrast to what we saw in the summer of 2020 uh, with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Uh, They certainly didn't leave our cities clean and spotless. Uh, They Mm -hmm. left them smoldering and uh, and burning. (laughs) Uh, Pastor Rob, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
3: Tony, thank you for giving a voice to these truckers and all that you do. You're a treasure to the country, and I thank God for you and all of your listeners and the support that they provide to such an amazing cause as this. Thank you, everybody.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Look forward to seeing you soon. All right, coming up, the Florida House of Representatives, they have advanced a parental rights bill, uh, parental rights and education. Critics are calling it the Don't Say Gay Bill. We're going to talk with the bill's author next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
8: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the app store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
1: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
9: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. There are lots of resources there for you. Contact information for our guest, information, links to information that they bring up in the interview. So I uh, encourage you to visit that website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. Yesterday, Florida's parental rights and education bill advanced in the state's House of Rep- State House of Representatives. It's setting it up for a final vote for tomorrow. The legislation, House Bill 1557, has been called hateful by President Biden, and nicknamed the Don't Say Gay Bill by the critics. But if you actually read the text of the bill, you'll realize it's none of that. So joining now to set the record straight is the author and chief sponsor of the bill, Florida State Representative Joe Harding. Representative Harding, welcome to the program.
10: Thanks for having me on.
0: So I want to give you the opportunity. I've I've read what the media says about it. Uh, I've heard what the critics have said. But it doesn't match up with what I read. So tell us what this bill is really about.
10: So it's a shocker, right? That the media would spin a narrative that would somehow but benefit um, a result that they're trying to get. It's really shocking. The bill is really simple. It just we define that there are some instruction that's not appropriate for kindergartner through third grade. Very simple. Um, and then we say that a school district needs to involve the parent in critical decisions about their child's life. I think it's just every fundamental um, belief that I have uh, that I know our country is founded on is the belief that parents should have the, the ultimate decision in their children and their children's life and that the parent knows their child better than a bureaucrat in a school district, period. I mean, we just, we, that is a given. We know that. Um, and then lastly, the bill just says that if a school district is not working with the parent and if the school district is Doing what we have seen happen, not just in Florida but across the country, where the school district is blocking a parent out of their uh, out of their child's life and these big decisions, then the parent should have a right to a cause of action against the school to, to sue the school and find out what is going on. What are they hiding? What, I mean, what is what we operate in the sunshine in Florida? We op- often say that we operate in the sunshine, except when it comes to our students' education, and we are going to fix that.
0: Well, to that last point, I can just speak to that from experience as a former legislator. That's the only way many of these things get enforced, but you, because you, you can't really expect the educational establishment, which is usually behind a lot of these bad ideas, to actually police themselves. So you, what's the use of giving a parent the right without the means to enforce that right. So I know a lot of the critics have uh, have gone after that latter pro- pro- provision of the bill, but that's the only way you make it happen.
10: It's the only way. We actually went a step further. I put an amendment on the House floor that passed yesterday. The amendment is now part of the bill, and so we vote on the uh, bill tomorrow. This amendment's going to be part of it. And we actually, what we did is we added a course of action. I added another layer. Here's the reason, because... Not every parent can afford to hire an attorney. But if a parent, regardless of their income, regardless of where they live, regardless of their zip code, they should have a right to escalate an issue going on. And, again, we could talk all day on specific examples. There are many. Um, But if they want to escalate this beyond their school district, escalate it to the State Board of Education. And what we did is we said the State Board of Education needs to hire a magistrate. The school district is going to pay for it because they couldn't resolve this with the parent, and, and the parent can resolve this even without going to court. Um, and so they have two options. We originally had a cause of action in the bill. That's still there, and we added this course of action because I felt it was important to level the playing field so that parents that couldn't afford an attorney still had a right to escalate this if there was a problem in the school district, and there are problems. It's not, yeah. it's not a hypothetical that there may be issues. There are.
0: Uh, that was a good move uh, to put that in the bill as well. So I just uh, want to underscore this. We're talking about kindergarten classrooms. We're talking about kids that used to use coloring books and blocks um, and up to the third grade. I mean, I, I know this is far-fetched in today's educational establishment, but what if we took all of that time that we're spending on Sexual issues, sexual identity and gender identity and all these different things that are sowing confusion in the minds of our kids. What if we focused on teaching them to read
10: and to write? I mean, what would happen? Well, we know I I could tell you what will happen. And this is why I'm a champion for school choice in general, right? Because we got to empower parents in every way. But I'll tell you what will happen when we focus more on reading. There is one statistic that regardless of your party, we will agree on. And that is the importance of third-grade reading. We know that's not—it's not a hypothetical. There's statistics prove this. We can relate um, everything from imprisonment uh, to to your third-grade reading level. So why are we focusing? Why would a school district right here in Florida think it's okay to use Gingerbread Man to teach gender to students, and not only just teach gender to to? confuse them in a way that talks about, well, their identity could be different than their gender and there's all these different types of gender. I mean, when you have sexualized gingerbread man, you have gone too far period. And that's, we're going to, our bill will eliminate that.
0: Yeah. You, we have third graders that can't read, but they can tell you what the 52 genders are uh, (laughs) for the day. Uh, Representative Joe Harding, thank you for your leadership. I commend you for uh, stepping out there. I know you're responding in many ways to your constituents who want to see this happen, uh, but I've I've been in the halls of government, and not everybody wants to step out front and take the arrows. We appreciate it, and uh, thanks for coming on
10: today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate what you're doing.
0: All right. And, folks, let me just say, if you live in the state of Florida, you need to speak out on this bill. Uh, you can uh, – Contact your uh, state representatives and your state senators. Just go to to TonyPerkins.com. You can find out more about the bill. All right, joining me now with more on the education front is FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Meg Kilgannon. Meg, welcome back to the program.
11: Thank you, Tony. It's great to be here. What a great bill that is in Florida. I'm so happy that we have legislators who are brave enough to take those bits. To bring that
0: forward. Well, it is not limited to the state of Florida. As a result of parents getting involved in communities across the country, we're now finding more legislators with the wind in their sails of the, uh, the people are introducing legislation like this. We've seen some in Missouri, which uh, has uh, some on the left upset. Tell us about it.
11: Well, the situation in Missouri and in neighboring Kansas is that um, the newspapers out there aren't happy that both of those legislatures are bringing forward parental rights bills, just like the one we just heard about in Florida. Um, and it, it really isn't surprising that parents would like to have more of a say in education. Um, we spent last year educating our kids through the pandemic. And it's sort of a Rosie the Riveter situation where, when we were needed, it was they, you know, we were there, and they were expecting us to work and and do the job. And now that they're back in charge, they want us to go home and go back to our lives and just let the experts handle it. And fortunately, parents are not just sitting back; they're they are seeking more information from their schools. And when they are not getting it at the school level, they're going to their state legislators and they're they're getting some really interesting legislation coming through. Um, one of the bills in Missouri is interesting because it charges the schools a fine for not engaging with parents and puts that in a fund that would fund school choice. Yeah. So it's great to have the 50 state laboratories that will work out these issues and come up with creative solutions to problems.
0: Well, in uh, I believe it was in Missouri, one of the provisions would require the teachers to post the the curriculum online so parents have access to it they don't have to go through all these hurdles to try to find out and It was interesting some of the teachers um you know and I don't want to speak for all the teachers because you know you, they, they go to specific teachers that are going to say what they want to say there's a lot of good teachers out there, and I yeah. just want to say this once again uh, I do believe. I I don't believe we should be sending our children into these uh, um, public schools, these government schools that have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, And and I know not everybody has that choice, but you need to make it a priority to get your children into a place where not only they learn, but they're not being indoctrinated. I mean, it should be overly evident now as to what is occurring in these public school classrooms. But I am grateful and I want to encourage Those that are called to teaching to continue to go into Christians, to go into the public schools, to be a light in this uh, dark place. But I say all that to say this, you know, they were complaining that uh, some of these teachers, where will the time come from for us to post this material? This we're already overburdened. And so how will we have time to do this? Well, I've got a suggestion. They could take it from the time they're doing the sex ed instruction, uh, the time that they're spending on confusing our children about gender uh, and sexual identity, they could just do away with that and they would have plenty of time to post the uh, the curriculum online.
11: They would indeed, and interestingly, that comment was made by the Union representative who in theory is responsible for negotiating the contract. So what she's telling you is she hasn't negotiated a very good contract for her members and maybe teachers and teachers' unions should think about what kind of service they're getting from those unions and perhaps not join and and not contribute to this nonsense. That's very much a top-down agenda. The national organizations push this stuff through the schools and the teachers' unions help them do that.
0: I was talking with Representative Harding uh, a few moments ago about, I mean, what if we were re- to return what the original purpose of education was to teach children to to learn to be able to read and to write and and look I look I am not naive I know that we have a lot of issues with uh, children coming to school that haven't been fed because they're in uh, in, in bad home situations uh, I know that happens all right But what does that have to do with spending all of this time on sowing confusion in the minds of our children on sexual identity and, and, uh, you know, all the stuff on gender? Unless unless you have an agenda. And I believe that's what's happened is the agenda of the left has taken over and eclipsed anything to do with actually educating our children to make them help them be successful in our public school system.
11: And when you don't educate children, you're not going to allow them to have that ladder out of a terribly impoverished situation, right? Uh, this is a, a key tenet of the value of public education: is that it's everybody's ticket out of poverty. If you work hard and you study and you learn, you can ad- advance. Um, and th- the the idea that um, that children um, reading scores are, are terribly low. We had learning loss during the pandemic. And that, that making up that ground to the exclusion of everything else, even, even electives, frankly, not just sex education, but some of the electives that I know students enjoy, um, but those, that time could be used to catch students up from the learning right. loss they had through the pandemic.
0: Well, Meg Kim, Kilgannon, we're not giving up. On public education, because I do think we're at one of those pivotal moments in the history of our country where we, I see a course correction. I was talking about it earlier when we said that we've got the 18 wheelers rolling for freedom. We've got the minivans rolling for freedom to school board meetings uh, right. as well. And uh, actually, FRC Action has another uh, session coming up. Tell us about it.
11: We do. On Friday, on Saturday, we are going to have in Virginia the first that I know of, the first training for elected school board members, and it's going to be a time for school board members who share, their, share a worldview that is consistent with our biblical worldview to come together and um, talk about issues, get training on what they're going to face as they join the school board and start their service, and uh, we're going to have a, a conversation about a lot of different things and hear from them about the kind of support they need from us and try to give them the encouragement and support and technical assistance they need to do their job so that they can inject their worldview, bring their worldview to bear on a system that desperately needs it. So we're really excited about this opportunity. It's gonna happen in Lynchburg, Virginia this weekend. And um, we're looking forward to this testing case and to taking this to states all over the country because we're having more and more interest in this kind of training for elected school board members. The people that we've encouraged to run for school board who have done it and are now serving need our support, our prayer support, and our practical support so that they can do their jobs on behalf of the Nation's children.
0: So, Meg, how can people find out more? If they're in Virginia or close by, how can they find out about uh, Saturday Session?
11: Uh, you can go to www. FRCaction.org schools, um, and you can visit the Noah Webster Educational Foundation website, and there's a link there to the school board summit registration page.
0: And also on the FRC action website, there's also information from previous training sessions that people can access because uh, there still, there's still time. Uh, the uh, filing date for some school boards still a couple of months away. So, you know, you oh, need absolutely. to seriously pray. People need to be absolutely. praying about whether or not they run. And uh, I know that we got tools that can help them succeed. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, stopping in today. Thank you, Tony. All right. And folks, I do encourage you. Um, It's one thing to to curse the darkness, if you will. But how about shining a light? And that's what we try to do here at Washington Watch, and it's what we do at the Family Research Council. Yes, we're going to point out the problems in America, but we're also going to point out a way forward. And I believe we still have the tools to win this country back, but we've got to use them. And it requires each and every one of us taking up our position on the wall. This is Nehemiah called all of those who were there in Jerusalem to take their position in front of their houses, right in front of them, to begin rebuilding the wall. Let's do our part. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul. Found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means,